Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them. They spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one uh, Tyrannus, or Tyrannus, or not Tyrannus, not to be confused with Tyrannosaurus, so Tyrannus. And I'm going to stop our reading there, and we will be looking at that, Lord willing, here in just a few minutes. So you may be seated, and as we come to a place of prayer this morning, and uh, let's just take this time that we normally do, just ask the Lord to uh, uh, speak to us, let's be intentional, and let's remember why we're here, and uh, let's just have hearts and attitudes ready for the Word of God, and ask God, just remove distractions, just to do the work in you that He wants to. And uh, we'll take this time to pray, and I'll close this here in just a minute. Our Father, we thank you this morning that we can uh, assemble together and thank you for the just the beautiful weather and just the great day that it is. And we thank you for the, uh, that it's the Lord's Day. And, and Father, we look forward to uh, the, 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 the preaching hour here in just a little bit. And we just ask you, Father, that you begin to prepare our hearts and soften our hearts and tender our hearts for your word this morning. Uh, Lord, as your word goes out today... We know it's not going to return void, but we also know, Father, that it's possible that we uh, just choose not to receive what you have for us today. And, uh, Lord, would you help us in that? And, uh, Lord, that we would be willing and ready and, and uh, just uh, ready to do what you'd have us to do today. Father, we ask you to re- just re- remove distractions this morning. Uh, however they come, we just ask you to remove them. And uh, that there'd be nothing that would take away uh, from the word getting out and the way it gets out. You just do that work in here today. And Father, we're looking forward to what you have for us. And we just ask you today 
uh, Lord, that everything would be done to your glory and your honor. That the Lord Jesus Christ would have preeminence in everything that we do here today. That you'd be glorified. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing one more song. <clears throat> Stand one more time for the pastor comes and t turn in your girl hymnals to page 125. Page 125. We're going to sing all verses. hip and not feeling uh, able to get around very well today and and, uh, and then um, I'm just trying to remember who else I'm forgetting now I'm gonna, so anyway but good to see you all here that's what I'm trying to say maybe <laughs> Acts chapter 19 We've been looking at the subject building up and kind of working our way up to the middle of August when we have our outdoor tent revival, tent meeting. And as, as I say, and you've heard it said before, we're not uh, having a revival meeting. We're, we're having a meeting for revival. We're preaching for revival. We want revival. And uh, as we study the Word of God, I'll tell you, we are faced with the fact that some uh, of the people who had the greatest heart for God, 
did not all end the way they started. There are some that did not end well. And a lot of it was many times you can go back to where the heart became the issue. And we're going to see today out of the text, it's not Paul really that has the heart problem here, but it's a, it's a church that was once a great, great church that we've been going through this epistle actually to the Ephesians. It was this church that ended up having a great problem. But we see in our text, I read it for you already here just a little bit ago in verse 2. We don't really get out of verse 1 and boy, I tell you what, the labor begins there at Ephesus. Uh, Paul is there and he finds a group of people asked if they've received the Holy Ghost yet. And uh, since, they, uh, since they had believed and they said that they, they didn't even know about the Holy Ghost, they really only, only knew the baptism of John. And of course, this brings up a lot of questions about the baptism of John. And uh, I like, I mean, obviously Apollos uh, wasn't baptized. Apollos uh, had, uh, was, was, didn't know about that Jesus had even come. He was preaching to come in Christ, but he didn't know he'd come. And here's these folks that said, boy, we didn't even know there was a Holy Ghost. We just had the baptism of John. And uh, one individual I know, one pastor I know, he explained it this way. Well, they lied. Because if they had really believed the baptism of John and really baptized under John, they wouldn't have been rebaptized. But I, I'm not going. That's not even the point of this today. That was an interesting point that was made. I don't know what I think about it. And uh, but the point of this is here in our text here is that uh, they did believe, right? And then they were baptized here, and Paul lays hands on them. They received the Holy Ghost. This was an apostolic protocol we see here. We don't need to do, we don't do this today. And uh, the Bible says in verse 7, there is about 12 of those, those disciples of John who responded to the preaching of Paul. Pretty good start, I would say. Show up in a place, and now he's been here before, but he's coming out here to do some labor, and he shows up, and, and 12 are brought to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he begins to minister in the synagogue. We see here in verse 8, he spends about three months, the Bible says, disputing and, and going back and forth with the Jews regarding the kingdom of God. And the Bible says then here in verse 9, we read that some were hardened and would not believe. And can I tell you, that is always the case. It is never the case that they can't believe. It is always the case that they will not believe. And uh, this is the case here as well. They, they would not believe. And so Paul really has run out of the synagogue, and he begins to look for somewhere new to meet. So he comes up to this school of uh, Tyrannus. And, and the custom was of that day, they would have school in the morning. It was, uh, the, the heat was a little much. Uh, and so in the afternoons, these buildings would be empty. And most likely, it's possible, Paul was able to rent, per se, this building in the afternoons and evenings while the school was not using the facility. But so he, he is uh, ministering there. He, he's going to spend two years there preaching and disputing the things of God and he does a bunch of miracles as well in verse 11 which is uh, pretty interesting it says many were healed look at verse 11 and God wrought special miracles 
by the hands of Paul. I like that clarification that God wrought them by Paul. And so here they are. The miracles are going on. The Bible says many were healed here in verse 12. Not only were there physical healings, but there were demons, there were devils that were cast out, evil spirits. It says so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. And so here's all these miracles that are going on. About two years this is going. But things are really beginning to move here at this ministry in Ephesus. The gospel is being preached. People are being healed. Uh, demons are being cast out. All of this is going on. And can I tell you, this is a reminder for us this morning as we're watching our nation fade away, as we're watching us uh, uh, in, not going into, but I believe are in, a postmodern, post-Christian world. Uh, I mean, we're just in a, a becoming a real pagan society anymore. It is a good reminder for us to know as we sit here, possibly discouraged and a little bit down today, that the gospel still works. If it worked in Ephesus, if it worked in every other part of the world, if it worked in America before, it'll work again. Right. And it continues to work. And the point of it is, we just need to get out and preach the gospel Amen. more. You just need to do it some more. It still works. It's working in Ephesus. It'll work here. But just like every other time when you see a God show up and you see great things being done and movement going forward, I'm telling you, opposition always shows up. You're always going to find it. And we see here Paul was causing such a stir that some of these, I like this term, vagabond Jews began to notice what was going on, right? And look at here in verse 13, then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, uh, uh, had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now this is so interesting because these vagabonds, that word vagabond is just talking about somebody who wanders or who is a fugitive with no point or no bearing or no point of anchor, kind of like a gypsy, you might say. And here they are, these vagabond Jews. They weren't geographical vagabonds. They were spiritual vagabonds, right? They were not uh, attached to biblical truth anymore. And they made their living doing exorcist rites. They were casting out spirits. They were casting out demons. And they noticed what Paul did, and they went, wow, that worked. Right? They, they noticed how he did that. And so it seems like they wanted in on the action. Okay? They, why? Because it was working. It was working. Right? Hey, listen. Here's another reminder this morning. There have always been counterfeits that look at Christianity and the name of Jesus like a genie in the bottle yeah. to get what they want and just to make more money. They, will, they have always been there. They will always be there. Don't get so bent out of shape about them. Just leave them alone and preach the gospel to people, all right? And here are these vagabond Jews, and they're going to take a trial run. I like this. They're going to, they say, I adjure you by Jesus. Come out from them, right? And the Bible says here in verse 14, there's these seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, a chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered. The demon answered him. And look what he says. Jesus, I know. 
and Paul I know. But who are ye? <laughs> I like this. Why would he say that? Why does... Because he didn't have authority. He wouldn't have, they weren't born again. They didn't have the indwelling spirit of God. They didn't have the power of God on them. The, listen, the, the devils believe and tremble. Amen. They know, listen, they know who is of God and who is not. And they said, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you. So what did they do? They leapt on him, right? And what did they say? They ran out of there and naked and afraid and they took off. And, and it was just crazy. It says, verse 16, wounded and naked, right? He's not a genie in the bottle, right? Jesus isn't that. Not at all. It, it, it didn't work because they were not saved. They were not. And this is what's going on here. You know, word got around town. People are starting to take notice. There's some weird stuff going on in town. There's some strange things happening and people are beginning to see. In verse 17, it said the Jews and the Greeks heard about it. Watch this. It says fear fell on all of them. Jesus was magnified. Many people believed what was being preached. And those who believed, they were coming and confessing. In verse 18, it says they were showing their deeds. Underline that if you have an opportunity to. to showing their deeds. The Ephesians had never seen a life transformed by the gospel like this. They had never seen such a transformation. See, this manifestation was so real and it was so undeniable that those who came to Christ totally severed themselves from their old life. They showed their deeds. They showed that they believed. Verse 19, it tells of those, look at this, many of them also which used curious arts. Right? They were employed in the wizardry that was called the Ephesian spell. They showed their curious arts and, and, uh, and brought their books together, verse 19, and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So here they are, they're employed. This is what they did. This is how they made their living, uh, doing spells and doing these rites and doing all of these things. What, what are spells? They were these charms that were written on scraps of parchment paper, certain formulas that outlined, that, 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 that were the outline of how to do, cast these spells, and they would wear them around their neck as safeguard from evil spirits. There's some other things they would do as well. The more powerful charms, uh, the ones that maybe they thought worked better or whatever, they were written down in a book. They were sold at a really uh, pretty pricey rate they were sold. And uh, they were circulated among the professionals. It was kind of like having a trade manual. If you worked on a car and had some Chilton's uh, manual for your car, it was a trade manual or something to that effect. And here's, here's, here's what I, I'm saying here. They had a, a whole arsenal of products ready to sell that maybe never really actually worked. But when Paul showed up and the people began to see that people were actually healed and demons were actually cast out and these demons even professed, yeah, we know Paul and named them. 
No, these demons that were, they named Paul and they named Jesus Christ. They begin to see like, whoa, this stuff really works. You know what these vagabond Jews saw was jackpot. They saw money. They saw we could make some money with this. We could do really well. But here's the deal today, folks. We're not talking about money. And we're not talking about formulas. We're talking about the power of the true and living God and what he can do in the life of a believer. The change was real. Watch. And it was free. Yeah. It was free. Good. I love that. Jesus paid it all. Amen. All to him I owe. Sent it left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. It was always free. And when these people humbled their hearts before God and repentance got saved, watch this now. There was visible evidence of the fact. The inside affected the outside. So what did they do? They, forgot, they first took their idolatry. Not just intellectually, they forsook it in practice and possession. In chapter, in verse 19, they brought all of their things to, the, to, to a pile and they piled it up and, and they burned it all. This was their, as John would have preached, their fruit meets for repentance. This was a little bit of evidence that what was going on the inside was real. Why do you say this was real? Because, friend, this was no small separation. Do you see the number they put here? 50,000 pieces of silver. If we could get close to the amount of money in our day you might talk anywhere from 20 to 48 thousand dollars of material up in smoke that they walked away from their house from that to their homes in joy they left it all behind yeah but can i tell you this morning that's natural for a child of god Going from pouring your life into that which is utter vanity to pouring it into Jesus Christ is natural. Giving up destructiveness of sin for the nurture and care of our Heavenly Father. No, that's just natural. Walking away from unhealthy relationships to walk with the lover of our soul. No, that is a natural thing to desire. Giving, 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 giving up a life that has no meaning for a life that has all meaning and all, all of the answers. That is a natural thing to desire. And it's a natural thing to do. Listen to me this morning. The call to follow Jesus is always the call to leave something else behind. You know the famous words of Jim Elliot, right? He's no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. This is what happened at Ephesus. It's incredible. There's an incredible thing going on in here. I mean, you talk about revival. I mean, you talk about well, you talk about great work getting started. You talk about turning the city upside down. And this is what it looked like. And I can tell you, it kind of looked like that for you and I, didn't it? Hey, you remember the day you got saved? Wasn't it great? Wasn't it wonderful? You remember the day that you repented and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you, do you remember the day when the power of God was overwhelming by the preached word of God and the conviction and, the, and, and when you responded to the Holy Spirit of God? I'm telling you, uh, the, the load of sin and the load of guilt was lifted off your shoulders whether you were 30 years old or 20 years old or 8 years old or 7 years old, whatever it was, you were responding to the 
conviction of the Spirit of God. And I'll tell you, you left just clean all over. You got up with a joy in your heart. You got up and you knew that God had moved in and everything else had moved out when you, when you couldn't help. But just tell somebody about what happened to you when the Word of God became alive and real and you were in it. Hey, the, the first time, the first time that sin was removed and placed on Jesus' account, it was the first time in your life that there was absolutely nothing between you and God. All things were become new. All things had passed away. Amen. It was a great time. Amen. You remember it. I, I hope, right? Do you remember that day? Do you remember when you were saved? you remember when your sins were washed away? Yeah. And what happened? Natural changes came. Did they all come at once? No, they didn't come at once. Did I just stop sinning altogether? No. The heart was changed. And if you could have, if any Christian could have one prayer answered, it would be this, that they never sinned again. Boy, I tell you what, wouldn't you like that? There's coming a day. Yeah. Amen. So hold on, it's coming. <laughs> We're getting a new body, praise the Lord. But your life changed. You begin to look to the Word of God. You begin to take in the Bible. You begin to read. Yeah, you couldn't get enough. Prayer became a normal part of your life. Assembling became a normal part of that. You couldn't wait to get to the house of God. Oh, the tears flowed easily. Under the preaching, you responded to the preaching. The, the lifestyle began to change. Yeah. It's an exciting time in Ephesus. It really was. All of this was going on. Things that, listen, everybody that has ever put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've all experienced the same thing. A new life in Christ and an old life that we're walking away from. But I'm going to show you one more thing. It would have been neat to be there. Yeah. It really would have been. Some of you have ministered in times like this. Of great revival. Some of you, if some of you have lived during times like this. And they're very fond memories to you. Yeah. But I want to show you something over in Revelation chapter 2. Would you turn there if you would please? You're familiar with this, I know. Revelation chapter 2. And see, in Acts chapter 19, God has given us a glimpse into the great history of the church at Ephesus. Names like the Apostle Paul and Timothy and John, and as history would say, even Mary, who uh, came to live there with John. But it was also here at Ephesus that the pagan Catholic Church held their council of Ephesus in 431 A.D. where they declared the dogma that, the, that Mary's title would be the mother of God. Yeah. And from this sprang up Mary Aldatry, which led to uh, Mary being uh, deemed as a co-redemptrix with Christ. We know the word there. It's called blasphemy. Yeah. That's right. this, no, this came out of Ephesus. This came out of Ephesus. And it was to this great church 
that we read of in Acts chapter 19. It's to this great church that Jesus began his internal investigation in Revelation chapter 2. The all-knowing, all-seeing eyes of Jesus. He knew exactly what was going on, but he also knew the remedy. Look at chapter 2 and verse 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Jesus begins this letter here uh, to the angel of the church, the pastor of the church. The pastor is the under-shepherd, that word pastor, that shepherd. He is the overseer, where we get the word bishop. He is the one who is in charge, where you get that word elder from. All three of those uh, descriptions of the role as the under-shepherd of the church. And to this under-shepherd, he reveals eight things that he knows about this church. Jesus says, I know thy works. I know your patience. I know how you refuse to bear those that are evil. You don't support them. You don't sustain them. You don't lift them up. You don't magnify them. You you, you deal with it. He said, I know you've even tried those who said they were apostles and are liars, right? You've tested them to see whether they were true and you found out, no, you're a liar. And they've confronted them and let them know it, right? He knew that. He said, I know that you have not tolerated many things. I know that you've had patience. I know how you labored for my namesake. I know how you haven't fainted. I'm telling you this morning, I'm so glad the Lord Jesus knows everything about this church. Not only does he know the negative, but he knows the good. He knows what the the body is trying to accomplish. He knows what we're trying to see done. He knows what we're trying to do at Nixon, Missouri. He knows what we're trying to do in our state, what we're trying to do in our our country and in our world. He understands that, oh, there's only, uh, it's just a little place it's not as big as this one it doesn't matter to the Lord Jesus it's one of his churches and he understands what we're trying to accomplish and I'm thankful for that this morning they seem to be doing everything right this church at Ephesus they were fighting for doctrine they were fighting for purity in the church they fought against evil in their culture they patiently endured the attacks of their world and they labored tirelessly for the name of the Lord Jesus that the gospel would continue to go out Could I remind you this morning that there are other six other churches dealt with here at Asia Minor that I, it is my opinion, they were undoubtedly started by the church at Ephesus. That when the Bible said all of Asia heard the gospel, it was because of the faithfulness of the church at Ephesus that was so soundly transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I can't get over it, friend. It was a great church. But verse 4. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Not only does God know the good, but he knows what needs to be fixed. Yeah. Can I tell you, if he didn't love his church, he wouldn't care. But he loves his church. He gave his blood for the church. He shed his blood for the church. He says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Hmm. 
who or what was the first love? You have left thy first love. Well, it could be none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? No, it's Jesus who pursued us. It is Jesus who came to this earth and put on human flesh to die for us. It was Jesus who suffered through the Roman crucifixion. It was Jesus that that has forgiven our sin and and paid the, the atoning price for our sin. It was Jesus who said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. It was Jesus who said, I'll present you faultless before the throne of grace. He said, Jesus said, he was the one who said that where I am, there you may be also. It was the love of my life, the love of my life, the love of your life was the Lord Jesus Christ, the very creator who made you, who sustained you, who who, who saved you. It was Jesus that moved us to forsaking that old life that we couldn't that we just didn't want anything to do with anymore. And 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 I realized in my own life one day, it came to me one day, that this friend who was called a friend of publicans and sinners, I realized that in my own life one day that very same friend of publicans and sinners was a friend to me, and he was reeling me in year after year after year after year, just reeling me in, reeling me in. And God says this, they left Jesus. Can I tell you, everything may look right and the machinery of religion may be clicking along just fine, but the love is gone. It's all perfunctory. It's just all because this is what we do. Jesus says, I know what's going on in there. And oh, I love what's going on, but your heart is far away. Mm. So verse 5 gives a threefold outline of how to get it back. I like that. It's really not too different from what we saw last week in 1 Samuel. They had a, their heart had come back. They asked Samuel. Samuel came and preached. He said, get rid of your idolatry. Yeah. And then go back and serve God. It's so simple. Look what he says here in verse 5. Remember, therefore. Remember. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. What was it that drew your heart away from the Lord Jesus? Spend some time. Think about it. Do you remember what it is? Was it a bad circumstance in your life that you weren't allowing for? Was it an unanswered prayer you thought was an unanswered prayer? Was it an irritation with a brother or sister in church? Was it somebody who treated you wrong, who claimed to be a Christian? Is it maybe just plain old rotten sin you allowed in your life? Is it bitterness? Is it, I'm telling you, there's, there's somewhere along the way that something snuck in and, be, and be, be, began to put a wedge between you and the Lord Jesus Christ and the joy slowly began to rot away. And you begin to slowly, that wedge got further and further and further. And no, you're still in church and you're still tithing and you're still giving and you're still singing the songs and and you're still enjoying the preaching. And you're, you're still even telling people about Jesus. But you know, you know, you know, there's something. There's a distance in your heart between him and between you and God. Yeah. 
Jesus says, I know what it is. He said, remember. Do it today. Remember. What was it? Number two, he says, repent. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. (laughs) What is repentance? It's a change of mind. What is, what is the change of mind? Well, you had something that you called truth that you believed. And then when God presented His truth, you said, oh no, that's truth. So you rejected the truth you were believing and turned and believed God's truth. You've repented. And I'll tell you this, repentance eventually produces a change of action and direction. Yeah. Admit the attitude you held was wrong. God, I'm bitter at you right now because I didn't allow for, I didn't think you would allow this in my life. Admit it. Come on, he already knows your heart. He could really help you if you'd be honest with him. Yeah. Well, I just need to forgive God. No, you don't. He never, he's done nothing wrong. <laughs> you, need, you need to agree with him that what he has done is right. Admit the attitude you held was wrong. Admit, admit maybe your view isn't a biblical view, some view that you've been holding that has created a wedge between you and the Lord Jesus. Admit that you have allowed things to come between you and Him. Admit it. Remember and repent. God, you're right and I'm wrong. It's that simple. And look what he says here, return. Remember, repent, and return. Do the first works. What were the first works? Well, in Acts chapter 19, remember what they did? They took all of their idolatry. They took all of the wares of their, of their trade. They took all of their stuff. that was, Watch, they took all of their junk that was identified with what was not godly. And they brought it to a place and burned it. How many remember the burning of records? <laughs> How many remember you know, the youth groups that get together? Did you, guys ever, did, did, did you guys ever burn stuff over here in the old building? Oh, man, you missed out. It, just hot dogs. <laughs> they were walking with God. They didn't have their Led Zeppelin album and their Who, the Who albums and all these wicked, you know, they didn't bring all their records in. And, all right? You're like, yeah, amen, amen. Man, start burning them up. Sometimes I wonder if we should do a, a phone burning. What do you think? I think that might be not, but not so bad, maybe. Yeah. Then the people who don't like me couldn't text me, right? Well, good. Yeah, yeah, it would be a good thing. No, they took everything that was idolatrous and they burnt. Watch. They, remember, they didn't want the counterfeit, right? They didn't want the counterfeit. They didn't want the empty and the fake. They didn't want anything that competed against Jesus Christ because they were married to Him. And they said everything that was in opposition to Jesus, they brought it and they burned it, right? Oh, I can't, I can't forget James 4. Verse 4, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. God, God has, has lined up worldliness with infidelity in a relationship with Him. That's pretty powerful. Pretty powerful words. But as time moved on, 
They allowed those things to have a place in their life again, and their heart was stolen from God, and the mechanics were taken over, and the heart was gone. And Jesus said in verse 5, If you don't take care of this, I'm going to remove your candlestick. What's he saying? I'm going to remove a once great church. It's my church. I, can, I set it up and I can take it out. And he did. Could you point to me where the church of Ephesus here is today? I understand some churches just have lifespans. I get that. But it's not there. You know what rules that area? A false pagan religion called Catholicism. You see, God's vehicle for the church, I'm sorry, God's vehicle for the gospel is the church. Yeah. And when hearts move away and a church is removed, the light of the gospel goes out in a city. Do you realize by the time that Revelation is written, the church at Ephesus was nearing 45 years old, the best that I can figure? 45. And their heart was gone from God. Had a lot of great stuff going on. But I think somewhere else the Lord said what? Like, I'm not that interested in burnt offerings. But a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Can I tell you, we're never too old to fall away. Personally, individually, we're never too old to get self-sufficient and fall away in our heart from God. And as an assembly, as a church, we've never been here long enough to get to a place to where we couldn't have that candlestick, could not be a candlestick that God removes. It will always be possible for Crimson Avenue Baptist Church to die. And where does it start? Are we listening? It starts right here. You're the church. We're the church. I'm a member here too. I don't know if you know that. We're the church. And it starts right here. You say, if I remember right, he talked to the pastor first. Yeah, you're right. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, right. Write it to him. Yeah. And it goes down from there. So what happens if you get right with God today? I like this. Back in Acts chapter 19 and verse 20, let me just read you a little phrase. You can go, you know what it says anyway, probably. And so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. You know why the word of God grew? Because the thing that was opposition to the word of God was moved out of the way you say I thought the word of God was powerful absolutely it is absolutely it is but it was hearts of people that were so in love with the Lord Jesus that they wanted nothing they wanted nothing to do with what wasn't a part of him and I tell you what you talk about freedom and joy and and I you just power the Holy Ghost yeah turn that place upside down it grew and it thrived. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not attempting 
some exercise in sensationalism. I'm really not. I mean it. If we don't take time to examine our own heart and life, there is no guarantee that this church will be here for the next generation. And until God is real to you, he's not going to be real to those who are around you or real to those who come and walk through these doors and observe our services. Yeah. Well, how does God become real? Well, it's, the heart's got to be there, friend. So here's the question today, and I'll be done. Have you left your first love? Have you left? Can you remember a day and a time in your life when he was much sweeter than he is today. Something's gotten in. Oh, it may not be huge. But watch, if it's not dealt with, it festers and it gets worse. Yeah. That old saying, nip it in the bud, boy, that's a great thing to practice, isn't it? Remember, have you left your first love? Here's what you do, you remember. However many years you've got to go back... Can I tell you something? The Holy Spirit is so good at reminding you where it is. (laughs) Repent and just return. What does return mean? I don't know. You know, it seems to happen when it's it's inevitable. Our heart gets away from God, and you know what happens? All of that idolatry, we just start allowing back into our life again. Why? Because we're just replacing. We're replacing a relationship. You might need to go through your home and through your life, through your car, through your closets. I don't know. You know. Allow the Holy Spirit of God to say, okay. Can I tell you what, though? When your heart gets right again, you don't really need a checklist. You just start not wanting them anymore. You'll see it a mile away. How'd that get in here? (laughs) Where'd that come from? Well, you brought it in, Bubba. Have you left your first love? Crimson Avenue Baptist Church, Nixon needs us to have a heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we're preparing for is revival. And if your heart's away this morning, the most wonderful thing, it doesn't take any energy to remember and repent. It can be done right now and right here. Our Father, thank you this morning. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you when we go down memory's lane and remember where you brought us from and what you took us out of and where you rescued us from. We thank you for that. And Lord, if that has waned and if there's been hearts that have drifted away this morning, God, We pray your Holy Spirit would do that work today. That work of remembrance that we would come to a place of repentance. That that heart would be made right again. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for everything that you allow in our life. And we count, Lord, that you've allowed it and it's good, whether we understand it or not. We trust you and we love you today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The instrument's going to play.
You have an altar there right at your seat. However the Lord has spoken to you today, you just spend some time with Him. Let's stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer this morning. So. All right. Brother Davidson, would you close us in a word of prayer? My precious, loving heaven.